0: We welcome back medical correspondent Dr. Mitch Shulman after a few weeks away. Nice to have you. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning. Nice to be back. All right. So in your absence, all of a sudden we have this tridemic or whatever we want to call it. We've got the flu. We've got the respiratory illness. We've got COVID. Uh, What's going on? (laughs)
1: Uh, Sure. I I think there's a lot of people out there who would would share that same question. Look, it's bad timing and a bunch of things all coming together at the same time. Number one, you know that you're going to get an increase in these types of illnesses in the fall and winter as people start getting back together and congregating. We get a spike in influenza, we get a spike in colds around this time of year every year. So that's not unexpected. And we knew from our experience, and we've discussed this, about what was happening in the southern hemisphere, that this was going to be a tough influenza season, and it is. It's starting earlier. It's hitting stronger. And what's most interesting, and I don't mean this in a positive way, but from a scientific point of view, is that it's hitting exactly the age group that we were seeing in Australia. So the five to 19-year-olds, the kids, are the ones who are getting the sickest from influenza and all that and getting attacked, and that's because we know they weren't really exposed to an awful lot for the last couple of years in terms of influenza. There were very low rates in the communities people were uh, protecting themselves washing hands and kids remaining learning by zoom and so they weren't uh, with each other and so all those things we expected what we didn't expect was the added a uh, zinger of respiratory syncytial virus now this is a viral illness that most kids get before the age of two it can get them very sick uh hopefully and great gra- graciously and gratefully some of them may get sick, but a lot of kids just get through it and they're immune for the, mostly for the rest of their lives, give or take. Um, they didn't get exposed. And so we saw a small increase in RSV infections, you may remember, at the start of the spring and summer. But because this virus doesn't like that time of year, it doesn't like the humidity, it doesn't like the heat, the numbers didn't get very bad. Well, now it's coming back with a vengeance. And so you're seeing that in terms of intensive care unit beds being occupied in the pediatric hospitals and the children's hospitals and a spillover towards the adult side. Um, this is why I've been telling people, look, wear a mask. Do it because it makes sense to protect yourself, not because of some government mandate. Wash your hands. That always made good sense. Southeast Asia survived years of flu and other diseases because they wore masks and washed hands. Why shouldn't we learn from them? If you've not been vaccinated against influenza, Duh. And the same thing, if you're more than five months out from COVID, uh, you should be boosted. But this is going to be a tough winter. No ifs, no ands, no buts.
0: Okay. And that's the uh, threshold these days? Because I had COVID in May, so I should be going for my booster shot
1: you know i'm never going to tell anybody what to do but i did it <laughs> okay. and i waited i waited for the bivalent uh, vaccine the one that combined not just the original wuhan strain of the covid-19 virus but also the ba4 ba5 um, because i th- oh do we just lose dr mitch
0: dr mitch seems to have it's like gazoo And he's gone. Okay, see if you can get Dr. Mitch back because there's a whole bunch of other medical stories I want to hear about this morning. Uh, Amongst them. So that's why I'm doing this. Okay, you're back. There we go. Sorry, we lost you for a moment.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. That's the nefarious COVID virus trying to get even with us.
0: There you go. Well, I was comparing you to the great gazoo, actually, who just, you know, used to appear and disappear. (laughs) I know.
1: How many people listening know what we're talking about?
0: I know. That's the problem. I used to work with a comedian and we said, you got to update your references. And for those who are unfamiliar with The Great Gazoo, uh, I think it was played by Harvey Corman and it was on The Flintstones. Flintstones. All right. So (laughs) uh, let's move on to Alzheimer's disease and the possibility that it could be diagnosed before any symptoms appear. I'm not sure I want to know.
1: Well, and that's the point. And the reason why they're pushing this is there's a specific company manufacturing a specific substance, a medication, an antibody. And what they're hoping is if they can diagnose it by using a PET scan, which is a special type of x-ray, they're hoping that if they can diagnose this with the PET scan early enough, their medication, which has so far failed in most trials, will win because their hypothesis we're waiting too long to make the diagnosis. The disease is too entrenched by the time we pick it up by the decline and mental functioning and all that, we've got to pick it up when these first markers appear within the brain. And these markers are tangles of abnormal protein, tau and amyloid, beta amyloid. And so using a PET scanner, they pick it up earlier, about 10 to 20 years earlier, and their hope therefore is if I attack the disease with my magic molecule, um, maybe I'll stop stop Alzheimer's. But you're right. If you don't have an effective therapy, do you really want to know 10 or 15, 20 years in advance that you're doomed uh, to decline that way? I wouldn't, uh, but what I would suggest people do in the meantime is do the things that we know work against Alzheimer's. Take good care of yourself, exercise, get enough sleep, eat properly, control your weight, your blood pressure. If you're diabetic, control your diabetes. These have been proven to reduce the speed with which the disease progresses and reduce the risk of developing the disease. And we'll keep our fingers crossed that earlier diagnosis will make a difference too.
0: All right. That's a long list of, uh, of preventative measures. I wish it was just like eat your oranges and you won't get Alzheimer's. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was that easy, too. (laughs) And tell me, is carbonated water good for us? If you like it.
1: Uh, Look, (laughs) at the end of the day, I didn't realize this. Carbonated water was developed by the guy who, who who created Schweppes. Okay. the the very one of the very first carbonated beverage companies. Uh, this goes back, I think, to the 1870s. And basically, what carbonated water is, the fizzy water, is carbon dioxide dissolved into it, so you get the fizz. It may help people with chronic constipation. That is definitely uh, a positive from it. Whether it's because the bubbles stimulate your gut. I don't know. But fizzy water, carbonated beverages do help people with chronic constipation. Other than that, they're water. Um, And if you like it, good means you're more likely to hydrate yourself properly. I have no problem with that. But if it is more expensive, you don't have to use it. You can use water and fiber and or bran and get the same
0: benefits. Okay. And we have enough time for one last story from you, Dr. Mitch, and that would be the sure.
1: health benefits of a random act of kindness. What would those be? This is something, oh, this is incredible. You know, numerous studies over the years, and this reinforces it, uh, another uh, study, that if you do nice, even if you don't feel like doing it, right, you're forced to do it. Uh, Doing acts of kindness, expressing gratitude, saying thank you, holding open a door for someone, uh, giving someone uh, a gift, all these things have tremendous positive repercussions on the giver. In other words, not only do you benefit from a tax point of view if you're giving money, but you also benefit from a psychological and health point of view. We've shown that it lowers your blood pressure, reduces your stress levels, reduces your uh, levels of high sugar and cortisol, and also has mental health benefits. So it's a win-win no matter how you do it. And what was interesting about this study is they looked at random acts of kindness, not doing necessarily the same thing every... Day, But each time doing something a little bit different, uh, saying thank you to one person, calling out to a parent that you haven't spoken to in a long time, holding open a door, random different acts seem to have a bigger effect, a bigger positive effect than doing the same thing over and over again. Not that. I'm going to tell you not to do a charitable act over and over again. That's good. But if you want to maximize your benefit, be kind, be grateful, do good things, volunteer. These are all going to pay back to your community and help you as well. It's a win-win. All right. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. It's a pleasure. Have a great day.